listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. Loving Father, thank you that you speak to us in the Bible and thank you that by your Holy Spirit we can know you better. And we pray now that as we uh, look at this bit that can be pretty confronting and pretty controversial, that you'd help us to be happy to listen to what you have to say, that you'd help us to like what you have to say and help us to live it out by believing in Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are you in a cult? How would you feel if someone asked you that? What if they said, oh, you go to Jamboree Anglican. Isn't that a cult? Well, I reckon if someone said that to me, I, I'd be a little bit defensive, I reckon. I, I'd say, no, 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 we're not a cult. We are as mainstream as any church can get. I mean, honestly, the head of the Anglican church, you've heard of the Queen, we're pretty mainstream. And I talk about all the mainstream things you could possibly come up with. You know, how old is our church? Well, you know, we've got the land. You know, we've been here a long time. We are mainstream as it comes. But why, if someone said to me, I think you're in a cult, why would I be so defensive? Why would I naturally want to say, oh, come on, don't give me that? Why would I, what would be making me think of that? Why would I not, for example, to consider opposite, why would I not wear that as a, a badge of honour? I'm in a cult. Woohoo! I mean, why would I not do that? Well, I think one of the reasons is that cults don't seem to get a whole lot of good media. After all, they're the sorts of organisations where the members are brainwashed. Uh, often the members are cut off from the rest of the world and they're stuck in this special compound with big gates and they said, you know, you have to live in there and we'll just sort of feed you food under the fence. And those sorts of things, being brainwashed and locked up away from everybody else, they're not terribly attractive to the world. And I naturally would want to say, hey, we're not a weird church. We're a really normal church. We fit in just fine with everybody. And I think it's legit that I can say I don't think we're a cult. Uh, One of the reasons is that, that all the stuff that I'm telling you, I want you to match up against the Bible. If I come up and say one thing, I, I want you to look at the Bible and say, yep, yep, that's what the Bible says, that's what the, that's what the Bible says. But if you go away and you think, oh, that, that little weird thing about drinking blood and, and not having it sort of poison you and all that, we, we, I just don't think that's actually right. Or, or come back to me and, 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 and challenge me on all those sorts of things. And that's why we have a question time. Because sometimes you'll ask me questions, are you really sure about that? And I'll come back and say, oh, actually, I might just answer it differently next time. But even so, we still say that our thinking and actions are defined by one special ancient religious book, right? So maybe there's just a a little bit of that, maybe lowercase c cult. Maybe there's just a little bit where we we actually say, we are happy to bow down to this book that's, that's thousands of years old and do what it says and not do what it says not to do. And even more so, when we actually look closely at the Bible's teaching, we can see that it tells us to separate from mainstream attitudes and behaviours. It really does say that we should be different and that not only should we expect to be different, but we should also expect to be rejected. 
We should, as Christians, followers of Jesus, expect to be different and rejected. For example, here's something that Jesus said. John 15. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. That's what Jesus said. And I've got to say, that does sound a little bit cultish, perhaps. It were, at least if some leader said that of their followers, then probably you might say maybe they're a bit cultish. And so if the cap fits, why don't we wear it? Well, I think one of the reasons that we're a bit worried about the title of cult <laughs> is that we really want to have our church the kind of place that people would say, you're not too weird. I actually really like the stuff that you have to say about the forgiveness of sins. I really like the way that if I come along, you, you talk about having life and life to the full. You have a, a confidence, a certainty about eternity, that when someone dies who's trusting in Jesus, they can be certain to have eternal life. I, I want people to come on in and hear that. And it may be even as you're here with us tonight in this room or via live stream, you may not have yet come to become a follower of Jesus yet. And I really hope that as you're here with us, you'll go, yeah, I really want to get on board with that. But there's another reason why we might find it a bit weird to use that title, and that is that we like to avoid conflict. We like to avoid conflict. Ultimately, we don't want to be bullied. No one likes to be bullied. But when you say something that's not mainstream, then... That's often what we should expect. I wonder if you saw in the news this week that the Lord Mayor of Perth said on the radio that a person's gender is defined by their genitalia. And the backlash has been brutal. And there's a protest this weekend to rally against him. And organisations and businesses have threatened to de-platform him. Now, if you check out what he said and how he said it, he said it in a pretty insensitive way, to be honest, and very provocative. And he deserved to have people go, that's a bit dodgy. He made fun of an issue that is deeply personal to people who are struggling with their gender identity, and that was wrong. But I think the point is that if a person publicly speaks out against the prevailing culture on any issue kind of like this, uh, then it's likely they'll get attacked. And maybe that's a reason that we as Christians don't want to stick our necks out too much and say something that's a little controversial because we know we'll get bashed up for it. But is that a good enough reason? Are we fitting in for the wrong motives? You might not be a Christian yet. and You've come along here and you're hearing the Bible talk today and you think, well, this is pretty controversial stuff. Well, hang in there. Have a listen to it. It's, uh, it's interesting reading. If you are a Christian and you're already a follower of Jesus, have a look at this and try and get your head around what the place of a Christian should be in this world in which we live. I'm going to read to you verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to think about whether we should blend in, whether we should stick out, or, and if so, on what things and how. Let me read it to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. 
you can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. And this is why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And that's the bit we're looking at today. And so I ask you, do you reckon that the Bible is telling us, blend in with the world? Or is the Bible saying you need to sort of stick out as being different? And in, if that's the case, in what areas? What does that mean? Does he want us to be, maybe not using the word cult, but does he want us to be a bit weird compared to the world? Well, they're the questions. Let's have a look and see. We are seeing this bit of the Bible that's part of a wider section helping us look at what it's like to be an authentic follower of Jesus, someone who's already saved by Christ. Uh, the verses before said, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That's kind of the summary of what life is supposed to be like as a follower of God. We see pretty clearly we should imitate God and follow Christ's example. That's what we should be doing, imitating God and following Christ's example. And so with those words ringing in our ears, we then get all this big serve of pretty heavy countercultural stuff in verses 3 to 14. And straight off the bat... There's a challenge to live a really countercultural life. Verse 3, have a look at this. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. If you thought that it was fine for a follower of God to just sort of blend into the world, then, well, that's not what the Bible says. It says clearly, such sins have no place amongst God's people. It's not possible to be a sexually immoral Christian or an impure Christian or a greedy Christian. Immorality is incompatible with Christianity. Immorality is incompatible with Christianity. And the list is repeated a little bit later on. Verse 5a, it says, You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Uh, Here, not only does it say that the sins have no place amongst God's people, it actually says that if you live for immorality and impurity and greed, you'll miss out on the kingdom of Christ and of God. And that, that is a big warning. It's a huge call. But it does really make sense, wouldn't you say? Because if you love the things that God calls sin, and you gladly promote them and flaunt them, 
then if that's you, then there's a sign that I reckon that you don't have God's spirit in you and you don't really know God. Because how can a person love the things of God and at the same time love sin? Just doesn't make any sense. It's pretty obvious, really. But it can't be saying that if a person ever does a sin, then they're thrown out of heaven. Uh -uh. There's no way that's possible. The Bible tells us that once you become friends with Jesus, you're still going to sin. I still sin. I need to say the sorry to God all the time. We said it publicly earlier on in our church service. Remember, there was a big, heavy prayer. There's a verse from the scripture that said, we all sin. And we said, merciful God, we are sorry. And that's the Christian life. But the point is, it's our attitude to sin that really matters. It's our attitude to sin that matters. When I was a teenager, I once heard someone say to me that it's the difference between being a pig and a cat. Pigs and cats both get dirty, but their reaction to getting dirty is different. Pigs, they love dirt. They love to roll around in it. They love to be covered in it. They love to wallow in it. But when the cat sees some dirt, they look at it and they lick it off quickly as they possibly can. That incredible neck that can stretch anywhere, you know, lick off it goes. Get rid of the dirt, get rid of it. You see, sin affects everybody. But if you're part of the kingdom of God, you'll treat sin like a cat treats dirt. You'll dislike it. It'll be, ugh. And you'll be asking God for forgiveness for it. And you'll try and stop it in God's power. But if you're kind of like, you know, a pig in mud when it comes to sin, maybe it's because you're a person who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you stay as you are. Because God says pretty clearly, look, if you want to be in my team, you can't be a person who loves sexual immorality, impurity and greed. You can't love those things. But what is sexual immorality there? Well, if you're a bit nerdy and you happen to have the Greek Bible in front of you, you'd see that the word is porneia. Heard of the word porn before? This is where it comes from. It's from which we get the word pornography. It's a this word that is porneia is translated in our English Bibles as sexual immorality, and it's basically a, a word that's kind of a catch-all for sex outside God's good design. Basically, any sex that's outside the bonds of the marriage between one man and one woman for life, and that means that sexual sexual immorality includes sex with anyone with whom you're not married, which is adultery and premarital sex. It's sex with someone of the same gender, homosexual acts. It's all these sorts of things that are incompatible with being a Christian. Those sins have no place amongst God's people, according to the Bible, which I'm looking at here. Which is why it's disturbing that some Christians will not only allow such behaviour in their churches, they actually celebrate it. They rejoice in it. There are some Christian ministers who have even chosen to marry someone of the same sex and their church and denomination celebrate it. A couple of weeks ago, a hearing panel, like a sort of a court sort of hearing, of a church in America called the Episcopal Church. It's the equivalent of the mainstream Anglican Church over in the USA. They concluded that one of their bishops has violated his vows. And the reason that they say he's violated his vows is because even though when he was ordained, 
the church said that marriage was only between a man and a woman. When the church changed his mind, he didn't. And so now they have said that he's guilty of breaching his vows. And so anyway, he's now given up, he's resigned, and away we go. The diocese, that denomination, celebrates something that the Bible calls sin. And now he is considered to be in violation of his vows. And so we stand with him as he stands with God's word. But there are other t- two other things on this list. One of them is impurity. It's pretty similar. Similar to sexually immoral and sort of perversion and so forth. The third word, it's interesting, which you may not think necessarily fits in with the other two, does fit in. And that is the word greed. Interesting, isn't it? Greed is right up there with sexual immorality and impurity. But why? Why would it be this top shelf ah, kind of thing? Well, it's because greed is ultimately idolatry. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 5. It says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. When we want more stuff in life, it's because we worship that stuff. When we think, you know, if I can just have a little bit more money or a slightly better car or a newer device or a better holiday or a house or a career or whatever, if I can just have more of that stuff, then I'll be happy. If we think that, then we're committing idolatry. You know, it's not like we're the, the kind of the, the cool guys from the Old Testament. When they were doing idolatry, it was pretty obvious. They'd go and they'd make statues out of stone and wood and, and, and bra, brass and bronze and all that kind of stuff and bow down to it. You're thinking, that's pretty clearly idolatry. That's, God's not a big fan of that at all. But we actually do the same thing. We do the same thing when we have greed, which is idolatry. How much more money do you need to earn to actually be satisfied? What percentage? Another 5%, 10%? Your boss gave you a pay rise of 20%, would you say, ah, that's what I needed? How much higher in the organisation chart would you need to climb to feel fulfilment? How much more leisure time would you need to, to truly relax? Another day off a week. Can I have another week's holiday a year? How many more shoes would you need to own to be content? How much more superannuation would you need to have to be secure? This is greed is idolatry. It's worshipping the things of this world. And greed has no place amongst God's people. No place. And the list goes on. Back a verse, because we jump forward a little bit. Back a verse. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. You see, not only should we avoid doing the acts of sexual immorality and idolatry, uh, we shouldn't speak about those things. We've got to avoid gutter talk. We've got to avoid rude and crude jokes. Our language, if we are followers of Jesus, needs to sound really different to the world. 
It'll mean that we, we stick out like a sore thumb in that sense. I spoke a bit about this last week when we looked at what it said in verse 29 of chapter 4. It talked about foul and abusive language. But I think what it's being, what's targeted right here in this bit is actually more sexualized speak. It's kind of, you know, dirty jokes. Friends, it is not appropriate for Christians to say crude things. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you say, I'm one of Jesus' men, I'm one of Jesus' women, I'm one of Jesus' kids, you, you can't go around and do the gutter talk. Now, I reckon a lot of you'd say, well, I, I, would, I don't do it anyway, and I get that. But isn't it hard when you're around a bunch of people when, some of, when one of them tells a crude joke? It might be around the workplace, some of your family members, some of your friends, might be down the club, might be you know, down the brigade or, or your, your community organisation or whatever like that. What do you do when they tell a joke like that? I, I usually don't find them funny and I don't really want to laugh at the joke and I prefer they didn't say them at all. But I, I don't want to be this kind of you know, grumpy guy who they want to push away and not be connected. I, I don't want to do that. So I guess my, my standard thing is that when I'm in that situation, I sort of do a half smirk, a roll of the eyes and a shake of my head. They kind of they know that I'm not a fan of it. But it's hard, isn't it? But whatever it is, we, we, if we're a follower of Jesus, we aren't the ones to actually say the jokes. But there's another tactic. Have a look at this. Verse 4b, it says, Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Is that the opposite? I mean, I reckon I might have said, it might have said, um, instead, say nice things or say positive things or say pure things or something like that. But it actually says, let there be thankfulness to God. So what's the opposite of crude jokes and swearing and all that kind of stuff? It's thankfulness. That is really countercultural kind of language. And in particular, it's thankfulness to God. Bottom line is, don't be crude, be thankful to God. So when you're around people who are saying things that make you blush, or that should make you blush, then when you say things, speak of your thankfulness to God. You know, when they say, what's happening, or how's your week been, or why don't you say, oh, I'm just really thankful for the rain. Or I'm really thankful to God that my kids are going well at school, or that my mum's settling in well in the home, or whatever. Or I'm really thankful to God for how my church is growing. Or, or I'm really thankful to God that, you know, that I've, I've still got a job during COVID. Whatever it is, it's a very different way to use speech. And this is what God is saying. Use this kind of language. Because as we imitate God, as we imitate Christ, we will speak differently. It's countercultural. Is it cultish? Mm, no. Well, it's weird. It's weird to be so thankful to God in the midst of a world that speaks with crudity. But sadly, some Christians don't see sexual immorality and greed and obscene language as a problem, and some even excuse them and welcome it. And some of them are even Christian leaders. Have a look at verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Yeah, more literally, it's sort of saying, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Don't be fooled by excuses for sin. 
Oh, we are just so clever. We can come up with all sorts of little reasons and little excuses. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know how it is you should live. I know how, what it is I should say and how I should speak it. But it's so easy to have these little excuses. And some people will come up with big excuses for big sins. You know, oh, all those rules about sexual sin, they were written 2,000 years ago. But today's society is different. Or they might say, why would God give us a same-sex attraction only to restrict us from living out those desires? Or they might say, it's okay to, to have a little bit of greed because you know greed is what is the spirit of capitalism and if we don't do that, we don't have jobs. Or it's okay to, to just have a little bit of a crude joke occasionally because you need to be in the world and you need to be around people so you can talk to them. Heard any of these excuses? Maybe you've made them yourself. Maybe you've heard Christian leaders say something even like this. The Bible says, God says, don't be fooled by them. Don't be deceived by them like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. It's like, no, it's not. God is very clear. Don't be deceived by them. Why? Because God's not neutral about sin. It's not like he's like, yeah, whatever. Oh, I don't care. I'll do what you like. It's not like he sort of sets up this big, huge banquet for all his friends, this beautiful food, this, this delicious, carefully crafted flowers, like the whole place is like this flower, and people come in and someone comes in and says, oh, we just kicked around a bull and we knocked them all over. Sorry about that. And God says, I don't care. It's like, of course he cares. He's made it for the pleasure of those who are coming to his banquet. And if you trash it, he's going to be angry. See, God is angry about sin. And that's why, in the next sentence, he makes this important warning. He says, verse 7, don't participate in the things these people do. Don't be like them. Don't speak like them. Don't be like them at all. Why? Why can't I just be a little bit like them? Verse 8 and 9. We're speeding up a bit. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And I think right here we're starting to get the answers to the questions that we had right at the very start. What should be the relationship between the Christian world and the non-Christian world? And the bottom line is Christians need to be different. We have light in us from the Lord. So we need to live light lives. Lives that are good, lives that are right, lives that are true. That is the fruit of his light that is in us. And when we know Jesus and we're united with him, we have his light in us. And we can't have anything to do with darkness at all. We can't blend light with darkness. You see that. You know, let's, let's imagine that somehow you're, you're wearing this hat that's got a light on it and you can't get the hat off and you can't turn off the light and you want to sort of creep around the back of the house at night and, it's, and everyone sees you. You're light. You can't hide. It's like, oh, I'll just try and blend in. You can't. You can't blend in with darkness when you're light. We've got to keep being light in a world of darkness. But how? Verse 10 and 11 Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Whoa. 
that's pretty full on. He says, you've got to know what God likes. And you've got to know what God doesn't like. Determine what pleases the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we've got the Bible. The Bible said some stuff to us tonight pretty clear. And we've got to discern it, and then we've got to distance it. We've got to be away from that kind of behaviour, away from these worthless deeds of evil and darkness. And more than that, we need to expose them one step further. We might think, well, that's them, it's not me. It'll just work itself out. I don't need to worry about it. I don't want to be controversial. I'll just keep it to myself. But God says we've got to expose it. Expose the evil. When there's corruption in the world, we've got to be ready to call it out. Just sitting on the side and doing nothing is not an option. And as we shine light in the world, these dark things will be lit up. Because God is light. And we need to live out our light in this dark world. But how does that work? Well, here are the last three verses. Let me read them out to you as we get near the end. It says, It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Well, it's basically saying that the shameful things will be exposed when God's light shines on them. And we don't want to get into all of the mucky details of it all, the horrid details. But through our light life, we will expose these things and we will influence these things. And we will transform the world in which we live. So how does that work? Would you see there was kind of like a thing in inverted commas there? There was a a quote from somewhere. This is a quote from an Old Testament book called Isaiah. It's a prophecy. It's written to God's people as they awaited Jesus coming along. And from chapter 59, it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you... And it reappropriates it for us. Christ will give you light. The point is that when we hear the good news of Jesus, we come alive... When he forgives our sins, we rise up from the dead. We come alive when we come to Jesus. And if you've just switched off for a little while, I really want you to switch back on here because this is very, very important. See, it's so easy when we see all this stuff here to feel a bit beaten up. Especially if you're a person who's just not quite sure if you're a friend of Jesus yet. And you think, oh, a whole lot of that sexual stuff and the greed and all that. Uh, to be honest, that's probably still me right now. And you think, well, what, what, have I got, what place have I got in this church now? You know, what place have I got in this live stream right now, clicking this religious link right now on Facebook? This is weird. What am I doing here? The, the amazing thing is that no matter who you are and where you've been and what you're like, Jesus is there to transform your life like a light in a dark room like a moon that is a full moon coming out and and shedding light in the darkness, like the sun coming up on the morning and bringing light everywhere. And the thing is that whether you're the kind of person you think, hey, I'm so good I should be a saint, or whether you think I'm certainly not a saint, whatever it is, the doesn't matter because the Bible says that you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Dead! Not kind of like, you know, semi-okay. 
dead. The before story is the same for every single person who is a follower of Jesus. But then what happened? I think I'm going to quote you this every single week almost. I did it last week. I probably did it the week before. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ up from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. If you're a person who has heard the good news about Jesus and have said, Jesus, I want you to be my loving ruler, then you've now been made alive. You've come alive. You are now light in a dark world. And if you are thinking, oh, that's not me, how could I possibly get that? The amazing news is it's actually really simple. And there's no one in the too hard basket when it comes to God. There's no one who can say, I've done, God could say, oh, you've done too much bad. No. You come to God, you believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. If you're a follower of Jesus and your life is more like the before than the after, then there's a big warning for you. It says, those behaviours have no place in the kingdom of God. So what do you do? Flick them. Say to God, I'm sorry I've done that. I'm sorry my attitude's wrong. I don't want to do that anymore. Will you forgive me? And he he says, I forgive you. And you're already my child. But maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you think, oh, this is all just too hard. There's no one who is too hard to forgive. There's no one that God could say, now you're too much of the before, I couldn't make you into the after. Maybe even tonight, as you're hearing this, you're thinking, I want to have a fresh start. I want to have, I want to be light. I want to be clean. I want to be forgiven by God. If that's you, whether you're watching on Facebook, maybe even in this room, got to do it. Don't leave this time without making amends with God and say, I'm so sorry, Jesus. Will you forgive me? And he will say, yes, dead right. I forgive you because my son died for you and gave himself as a sacrifice for you. But with all of this, I want to remind you that it's normal for a Christian to struggle with sin. I've been struggling with sin since the day I became a Christian. And I'd love to be able to say to you, hey, I've been a Christian for a few decades. It gets so much easier. No, it's hard. Sometimes harder. It's a struggle. But because I'm saved by God, I guess I mostly see sin like a cat. Mostly. Sometimes I pray, oh, Lord, please help me to really see it like dirt. But I, 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 I didn't, and I'm sorry for that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your attitude that you should have to sin. Like a cat. See the dirt, get rid of it. But the point is in all of this that the Christian life is supposed to be very different to the world. We are to be light in a dark world. We're to stick out like a sore thumb. We're like to be, a, like, to be like a candle in a room that is dark, shining out bright. Or a floodlight 
at night on a dark field. And so when that is the case, we won't fit in. And if someone says, oh, you people who follow the Bible, you're just like a cult. Maybe. If that's what it means, then I guess so. I don't think we've been brainwashed by some cult leader. We actually know the one who created the universe. We know the one who loves us, the one who served us, and we want to submit to him and his loving rule. But ultimately, we are very different to the world. We are very different to the world. And that should come as no surprise, because as we heard from Jesus before, I'll say it to you again as I close. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. Let me pray. Loving Father, we are so thankful that you have sent Jesus to die for us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to trust in Jesus with our whole life. We're sorry when we sin. We're sorry when we don't treat sin as it really should be. And we pray that you would forgive us. And for anyone in this room or on this broadcast who does not yet know Jesus, Lord, may this be a night where they come to you and say, I'm sorry, I'm truly sorry. I turn to Jesus. I want to leave the past behind. I want to be forgiven. And I want to serve you all my life. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.